0: Welcome, soul speakers, you little soul speakers, you. It is episode 10. How exciting. It's like a birthday celebration. I am bringing balloons to this podcast episode. So today I have a wonderful guest on who I met at a conference a couple months back and Oh, he is amazing. He has a lot of great information, a lot of great knowledge, and a lot of great things he is sharing with the world, and he has accomplished in this world so far. His name is Mike Alon. He lives in Franklin, Tennessee, which is right outside of Nashville, and I love Nashville, obviously, because anything having to do with cowboy boots and beautiful barbecue sandwiches and hot chicken and country music playing outside of every place, <laughs> is my favorite thing. And I forgot to mention wonderful beers and cute little cocktails. Oh, my favorite. Oh, I love Nashville. but Mike is the CEO of Greek University, which is something that just started off as him, okay? And now it is multiple speakers and them as a team are just offering all of these amazing programs and speaking engagements on really awesome topics mike himself has headlined over 350 presentations across 150 college campuses talking about pressing problems such as sexual assault prevention hazing prevention and campus safety alcohol and drug abuse prevention and motivation in just student organizations as a whole he has a really strong background in technology accounting finance So from this, he really has developed all of these really cool entrepreneurial things and also just taken his own heart, taken his own passions and created this beautiful movement. So please listen to this wonderful episode. Listen to all of these amazing things that Mike has to share. And I will say at the beginning, we're talking about Masada, which is a big mountain in Israel, um, yeah we just had a lot of things in common about that which we didn't even know until this conversation right now but he has some really really cool things to share so tune in listen celebrate bring some cake bring some balloons because it's episode 10 and let's get crazy woo we're about to get very real a little silly and you're gonna freaking love it I'm Saren, body image and self-relationship coach, lifestyle, aka everything cute and inspirational entrepreneur, Pilates and yoga instructor, and spirituality-loving person. Let's get real. We all think the same things. We all have those crazy thoughts. The Soul Speak podcast is here so that we can allow ourselves to have those weird, awkward, unheard of conversations that no one ever talks about and prove that they are normal. Topics on judgment, comparison, inner criticism, sex, lifestyle, and spirituality—all will be found right here on this podcast. Each episode, guests and I will not only bring you new ways of thinking, but also bring light into your life all together. Now, let's speak soul. Thank you, Mike, for coming on Soul Speak the podcast. How are you?
1: I am doing wonderful, Sarah. And how are you?
0: I am doing wonderful. I feel like we just spoke, like this has been a saga of us trying to schedule this podcast.
1: (laughs) Hey, I love it.
0: I love it too. And I was just on yours last week, which if anyone did not see that, they should go check it out because it is an amazing podcast, Fraternity Foodie, and we will put the link in the um, bio. (laughs) But Yeah. So... What's what's on your mind right now? How's it going?
1: Everything is going great. So uh, just a busy travel schedule. Just came back from speaking at UC Berkeley. Um, and then recently I was just in Philadelphia at LaSalle University. So uh, I'm just loving every minute of it. Just trying to help as many college students as I can.
0: Nice. How was California?
1: Oh my God. It's so beautiful. I absolutely love it. Uh, The taxes are out of control and the cost of living is very, very high. But I will say this, it is literally one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been in the entire world Uh, is places like Berkeley, for example, where you can climb to the top of these mountains and just kind of overlook the San Francisco Bay and the bridges. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. And you can just look at this beautiful, like God's creation and you're just in awe of just how amazing it is. And it's just, uh, it's really inspiring to go out there and work with the students. But just in that environment, it just makes it so much better.
0: That's so awesome. And that's funny that you say that. Just look at God's creation because whenever I'm driving through the mountains, like when I've driven from the Chicago area out to North Carolina, I just, when I hit the mountains, there was a time where I just started crying because I was like, these. These are just—it's a different world. It's basically just—you know—it's—it's it's literally that God's beautiful creation, and everything is God's creation. But those really just show it when you're on top of a mountain. It's just you're so close to God, close to heaven. It's—it's <laughs> it's unexplainable.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I've had that sensation in a few different places. I think uh, numerous places in California, San Francisco area, certainly. Um I think also to a trip that I took to Israel, as a matter of fact. <gasps> Did you go to Jerusalem. Masada? <laughs> Did I go to Masada? You don't even know the half of it. Um so, <laughs> well, tell me. Well, the first part is, I'll tell you, you know, in Jerusalem, you just definitely get a sense of just... Um, holiness and just spirituality that I've just never felt anywhere else. And every time I return to Jerusalem, I feel the same way. So, um, you know, just in, in your talks and feeling close to God and, and just being in awe, you know, that's definitely it when you're walking in the same steps as some of the people Um, in the Bible, etc. It's just a sense of spirituality that I've just never really felt other than in that place. Um, In terms of Masada, um, my father was actually one of the people that uh, went to go work as an archaeologist at Masada. Um, So when he was 17 years old, Um, 18 years old, somewhere in that range. He was uh, one of the archeologists that went up there to actually uncover it because there was a certain point when Masada really was nothing other than a mountain covered with dirt. And so there had to be archeologists that went there to go and figure out what happened on Masada. And for any of the listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the story, it's a really fantastic story. Um, Essentially, uh, the Jewish people were up there at the top of a mountain in the middle of the desert and the Romans were basically there to essentially make all of the Jewish people essentially slaves to them, to the Romans. And so they were all hiding out at the top of this mountain and uh, the Romans came to the mountain trying to make them slaves. Well, because they were at the top of this mountain in the middle of a desert, the Jewish people obviously had an advantage because anytime the Romans would try to get to the top of the mountain, the Jewish people would basically sling arrows down from the top of the mountain where they would be at an advantage um, and, you know, throw all kinds of things like boulders down and hot oil and all kinds of things to dissuade the Romans from coming back up there to make them slaves. And eventually, uh, the Romans figured out that on the Sabbath, on, on Saturdays, essentially, um, the Jewish people would not be doing any of this work to try and dissuade them because that is the day of rest. And so they recognize that they can start building a ramp to the top of Masada and essentially build on the Sabbath because those were the days that the Jewish people would do nothing about it. And so, you know, over time, they eventually built this ramp to get to the top of this mountain and get the Jewish people to become slaves. And uh, when they got up there, uh, what they found was not what they were expecting. Uh, The Jewish people realized what was happening and that eventually there would come a time when the Romans would eventually get to the top. And so the Jewish people made an agreement that they would essentially draw lots Um, where all of the people would draw a number that were at the top of the mountain. And uh, this number would basically say in what order they would essentially kill themselves rather than be slaves. And uh, eventually, you know, there was a, a number that would be number one, the last remaining person. And that person would have to essentially commit suicide, kill themselves rather than be a slave. And uh, there were a couple of people that eventually escaped the mountains and were able to tell the story. And that's how we know the story of what happened at Masada. But by the time the Romans got to the top, finally, all they found was all the dead Jewish people. And that speaks volumes in terms of who Israelis are as a people. Um, They're very prideful. Uh, They believe, obviously, in only one God. They're not going to be slaves to anybody um and uh, also the israeli people many times people will call them sabras and sabra is a hebrew word that essentially is the name of a fruit and that particular fruit has a very tough exterior but the inside is very sweet and so that really describes the israeli people this fruit because they are very very tough people uh very tough rugged exterior but once you really get to know them once you get past that rugged, tough exterior, you'll know them to be just wonderful, very, very sweet people. And and those are the Israelis that I know. Um, and uh, so my father was able to, uh, to take uh, myself, uh, my two sisters, um, and then of course, my children as well, which would be his grandchildren, uh, to Israel a couple of years ago to go just do a walkthrough at Masada to show um, his children and his grandchildren everything that he was able to uncover, um, including uh, there's a woman's shoe that was recovered at the top of the mountain that's sitting in the museum at Masada. So you can actually go and see that. My father was the one that found that uh, woman's uh, pair of shoe, and. Um, also, my father was the one that ultimately discovered the temple that was being used at the top of Masada that they had built. And the, the reason uh, why he knew it was the temple is because when my father was digging in that particular area, he found a very special mosaic tile at the floor, when he where he was digging, and just by examining the one tile that he found, he knew immediately that this was the temple because it was the fanciest mosaic tile on in the entire top of the mountaintop. So he knew right away what this room was being used for, and they were able to essentially just. Um, you know, put up tape so that way they can know the, the space of the room and then get everybody working on that because that was clearly one of the most important places at the top of Masada. So when you bring up Masada, you have to know who you're talking to. Oh
0: my goodness, and, uh, yeah. And it was then
1: just to crazy. know the full story. But I think at least that's a really fun that. story.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that is, can be um,
1: an episode in itself. I, mean, really, you-
0: I have so many questions about that, about – I have so many questions. And first I will say for anyone listening, you should definitely go and Google Masada, just Google Masada Israel. It's like a whole different land. And, um, also, you know, it's funny that you bring all that up too. It's all really close to my heart because in high school, I spent a semester in Israel and I lived right outside of Jerusalem. And so I, um, I've seen all of that and I've been there and I was, Younger, so I'm looking forward to going back because I'm definitely in a different place in my life and different, you know, beliefs and different feelings and all of that. So I'm looking forward to going back and experiencing it through new eyes. But um, Masada for me was just, oh my gosh, it it's a whole different world. You know, when you're up there, it's literally its own world. It is amazing. And did you? I'm assuming that you've hiked up it before then.
1: Yeah. So I've done both. Uh, when I was younger, we did the hike up there. When I went up there with my family uh, recently, we ended up taking the cable cars to get up. So yeah, I've done. I
0: figured both. you said with the kids and everything. Yeah.
1: With the kids, you can't do that.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you remember the end of the hike? Do you remember the end of it?
1: You know, that's a great question. It was, it was so many years ago. It's like, I don't even know if I I, remember. I don't know
0: if I could ever forget it though. That's the thing. The end is just all stairs. It's just all stairs for, I think it was like over an hour of spare. (laughs) We woke up at like four in the morning to do this. And, um, it was our whole group, which was, I don't know, over a hundred of us. And, um, Yeah, we woke up, and I just remember, like, it was pitch black, and everyone, like, the people brought food, so we ate breakfast, if you remember all of the spreads that they have out there, you know, the chocolate spreads, and so we just had literally, like, carbs, pita, and chocolate for breakfast, and then just (laughs) hiking up this... Oh, my gosh. I, I would never put these pictures in the public, which they're probably on Facebook somewhere. But if you could see how red my face was at the end of this hike, it was disgusting. There's a picture of me. I look like a red balloon. I'm like, oh, my God. But I was also a for So yeah,
1: anyway, uh, you definitely want to uh, wear some sunscreen when you're out there because you are really close to the sun up there. And yeah, uh, No, but it it was the
0: red from the hike. It was the red from the level of fitness, I think, that (laughs) needed for that. But that is amazing that you are so connected to it. You never know. You never know what a person has behind them
1: yeah no i'm very connected to it and i would say to all your listeners you know i think masada is a wonderful place uh the dead sea certainly is a wonderful place to go and visit the very unique stuff and of course jerusalem uh, no matter what your religion is that's really the birthplace of three different religions that were literally built one on top of the other so when you go up to the top of the mountain in jerusalem and you look down on the city it's just amazing to see literally how they they literally one on top of the other just built and, uh, and you can see it from the top of the mountain, seeing, you know, uh, the Jewish star and the, the Catholic cross and, you know, uh, the Muslims. And, and it's just one on top of the other. And you can see it visually. And it's just so impressive. Not only is it so scenic and beautiful, but just the history. There's no place in the world that has that kind of history. I mean, here in the United States, when you say that, you know, something is old to you know to somebody something that's old here is like you know 1800s um you know go to jerusalem and i'll show you something that has some real
0: definitely um i also remember one of my favorite just i i don't remember exactly where we were because we were all over the state but um it was one of the trips that we took and i was just looking at this rock and it was a giant rock and i was just feeling it and i was thinking gosh i can't believe that This rock, it was like on a fall in, you know, in some type of battle zone that we were, and that rock was part of the battle. Like it probably fell when someone hit it or someone hit it with a sword. I don't know. And it's just so cool that I'm touching it right now, years later. And it's been through all of this stuff all these years It's just it's amazing amazing. yeah i
1: mean even to this day if you go to masada you'll see pottery all over the ground at the top of the mountain at masada that was original pottery that was used by the people who were living there and you can just pick it up off the ground um and then i'll even take it a step further if you're in jerusalem um there is literally granite a big granite stone on the ground and people are touching it and as they're touching it they're crying you know, just hysterically. And the reason yeah. why is because this is the granite stone that Jesus Christ himself was laid down on after they pulled him off the cross. Mm. And you can touch it with your hands. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like stuff like that. Where in the world are you going to do it other than Jerusalem? So no matter what your religion is or what your beliefs are, I think it's just such a spiritual, spiritual place and the things that you can look at and see and touch is uh, just makes everything else pale in comparison.
0: Mm, yeah, I feel that. I. Feel- Feel it, I feel it in my heart when you say it. I love that. And the food is delicious in Israel too. Oh my god, it's
1: so oh my
0: good. gosh. Yes. <laughs> this is just called the Israel podcast now because we just spent like 20 <laughs> minutes talking about it. But um I can't what is the laffa bread? If you have, you know, like the pita, mm-hmm. get the pita, um what is the word? Uh, sh- starts sh- when it's like shredded meat off the. Shawarma. Duh. Oh my gosh. A shawarma sandwich. And then they have the lafa bread though. Oh, and yeah. laffa bread is totally different there than it is here. It's just like literally a piece of dough and they <laughs> roll it in that. And then they would stuff it with everything. They would put the really good Israeli pickles in it and Mediterranean pickles and then fries even they would put in it. Like, oh my God.
1: Oh yeah. The pickles, the olives, the falafel, all of that stuff. I mean, it's just, we couldn't get enough.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. The food is delicious there. Okay. So delicious Israel. Let's talk about deliciousness with Greek university and everything that you're doing. (laughs) So why don't we talk about you? And I just want to know, I want to share with the audience. What, who are you? What did you do? Where did you come from? Where did you start? What's your story?
1: Sure. So the story is I was born in New York City in Manhattan, a real New Yorker. Um, and uh, I went to school at the University of Buffalo in Buffalo, New York. I chose the University of Buffalo because my best friend in high school, who was a year older than I was, he was already up there at Buffalo having a good time. And so I decided I was going to go up there as well and hang out with him for the next three years. Well, he called me uh, about a week before school started for my freshman year and his sophomore year and he told me that he failed out of school. Um, And the reason why, he was a really big physical guy. He got a job working as a security guard and he was working all night long. He couldn't wake up for his classes and eventually he failed out. So now I'm driving from New York to Buffalo, which is an eight hour drive by myself instead of with my friend Scott. And uh, it was just, it was really hard for me to make friends. It was 30,000 students at the University of Buffalo. And that was just an overwhelming number for me. I just didn't know like where to begin or how to start this process. And so my entire freshman year, first semester, um, I was either sleeping, eating, or going to class. And at the end of that first semester, I had literally no social life whatsoever. I called my dad and I said, dad, uh, I've decided that I'm just gonna drop out of school and I'm gonna start my career without a college degree because nobody on this campus even knows who I am. I could drop dead tomorrow, nobody would know. Um, And uh, my dad started yelling all kinds of obscenities in the background and eventually said, no, my son is going to be a college graduate. And I said, but dad, you can't make me go back to school. I don't wanna be here. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I've rented out your room back home, so you have no place to go. So, you know, so it was kind of one of those. And uh, my second semester, now I had to go back, so now it's January in Buffalo, and uh, I was sitting in calculus class, there was five feet of snow on the ground, and it was still snowing on top of the five feet. And I looked to my left, and there was a kid sitting next to me, and he was wearing cutoff jean shorts and flip-flops to class with five feet of snow on the ground outside. And so I looked over because I was just like, what's going on with this kid? And uh, I noticed that he had sigma pi Two Greek letters tattooed on his thigh. And I was looking at those letters, going, This must be the most amazing organization because why else would somebody tattoo it on their leg and look at that every single day? And so I pulled him aside at the end of class and I said, Can you tell me what is Sigma Pi? And he said, Well, I could tell you about our founders, I can tell you about the history, um, but it's probably easier if you just come over to the house and meet the guys. And I said, Well, uh, let me look at my schedule. Oh, yeah, I have absolutely nothing going on. Sure. And uh, I went over to the house. I met the guys. They were really nice. That was about all I thought. And then the next uh, calculus class was on a Thursday. I sat next to this kid, Rich, again with the tattoo. And he said at the end of class, hey, I'd love for you to come by the house again. And I said, "Okay." I have absolutely nothing going on today either. So that works out really well. And uh, when I got to the house, they all greeted me. They all said, hey, Mike, good to see you again. Thanks for coming by. That was it it was beautiful it was you know they knew my name so that's really important for students to remember when it comes time for recruitment or even just making friends it's just use people's names it's their favorite word in their vocabulary um and the fact that they actually missed me they actually cared if i came by the house or not that was my family and so within a group of 60 guys um, i could figure that out and i could figure out how to interface with them but you know 30,000, I had no clue where to begin. And so that really was what I needed in order to be successful up at college. And uh, I got all kinds of leadership skills, motivation skills, and communication skills that I didn't have coming into college because of my experience within my local fraternity chapter and being on exec board. And uh, ultimately, that enabled me to help build really big companies in New York City, one of which uh, that I helped with. Um, It went from startup to over $25 million in annual sales in five years. So uh, the company opened up offices in New York, in Amsterdam, and in Bangalore, India. Um, And uh, eventually I became an entrepreneur on my own, left that company and started a web design company doing web design and search engine optimization. Um, That company took off like a rocket. And so I decided I needed to volunteer for the fraternity to kind of give back and make sure that more men had similar experiences that I had and could benefit from the fraternity as well. So I started volunteering for Sigma Pi. um, And uh, eventually I got an email from my national fraternity saying they were looking for a new CEO and executive director. And I kind of looked at the email in awe thinking, wow, I could actually make a living doing fraternity? That's pretty cool. And so eventually I applied and I got the job. Um, So I was responsible for 125 chapters and over 100,000 members of the fraternity. Um, And as I was traveling and visiting all these chapters all over the country, I noticed the same three problems on every single college campus. It was always hazing, it was always sexual assaults, and it was always alcohol and drug abuse on almost every single college campus. Um, And so I knew that I needed to do something to fix this problem. And there was only so much that I could do if I just focused on my own fraternity because I recognized that by just developing a new member education program for just my organization, that's not necessarily gonna help because we're really only as strong as the weakest link on any particular college campus. I think about Baruch College in New York where five men uh, were facing murder charges for some of the hazing that they got themselves into in their fraternity, uh, a different organization. And now there's no more fraternities and sororities at Baruch College in New York uh, because of that incident. So I knew that if I wanted my children to have the same opportunities that I've had, then I really need to make sure that I work with every fraternity, every sorority, every single college campus in the country to ultimately um, give the students the resources they need in order to fix all of these issues.
0: Amazing. (laughs) That was a lot in one answer. That was a big, big journey going from one thing to where you are now as an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur and speaking and motivating and doing all of the work that you're doing. So where, I know that you've said that you noticed that these were big issues that you needed to address that were just coming up a lot on campuses with sexual assault, Mm -hmm. all of that. So Do you have any background in that where you um, have dealt, you know, personally with something like with the topics that you speak on and Mm -hmm. where does that passion come from for you?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it certainly does come from personal experiences. Um, certainly, I think, you know, in terms of hazing, that's certainly something that I experienced myself at the University of Buffalo. I mean, it was a great experience and I got a lot out of it. But at the same time, I knew that there were certain, you know, hazing parts of our new member education program that I needed to remove. And So that's where a lot of the passion comes from, for example, when I'm talking about hazing. And this is not all that uncommon. 55% of college students have been hazed, and 47% were hazed before they even came to college. So I'm seeing hazing going on in a high school level, in high school athletics. So for example, the football team, uh, swim team, those types of places. Uh, We see it even in the band. And I've even uh, heard one incident um, that I had to deal with personally where there was hazing going on at a church retreat at a high school, and then a particular fraternity ended up taking those experiences, hazing at a church retreat in high school, and bringing it to their college campus and using those same uh, types of things that they were doing at the church retreat. So so I've seen that over and over again. So I think a lot of that passion comes from that personal experience. But also a lot of the passion just comes from doing what's right. Um, I think there are certain values that are very important to me that were taught to me by my teachers, parents, and other people that were in my life as a child. Um, But also I committed to certain values when I joined the fraternity. And so, you know, those values and, you know, those things, that oath that I took when I joined the organization, I take that very seriously. I don't, you know, say that I was a Sigma Pi at the University of Buffalo. I say I am a Sigma Pi. There's a difference there, right? It's not, for me, it's not a four year experience when I was in college. For me, it's a lifetime commitment that I made. And so I really believe in the values that I committed to when I joined. And, you know, those things include things like scholarship and community service, but also things like chivalry, for example. And, and when I say chivalry, I don't just mean how a man treats a woman. I, I'm talking about just how, how we treat other human beings, right? And just doing the right thing. And so when I see things like what happened at Penn State, for example, uh, recently uh, with Timothy Piazza, and I see a fraternity um, and and even a, a sorority that was over at the Beta Theta Pi house that night, uh, you know, just essentially stepping over somebody who clearly needs medical attention and not calling for help until 10 hours later when this, this student is already dead. Um, you know, I, I look at those things and I. You know, I try to understand how could that happen? Um, Is it that we're so consumed with our own safety and well-being and not getting in trouble that we don't want to call for help to save somebody else's life? Um, You know, I, I try to examine that and look at that and try and figure out how these things happen to try and talk about these things on college campuses to make sure that it never happens again because I think we have an obligation to protect one another as humans. Um, and I think fraternities and sororities, when it's done right, they should be the safest place on any college campus, you know, the, the fraternity house or the sorority house. I should feel very comfortable to drop off you know, my 12-year-old daughter or my 14-year-old son into one of these fraternity houses and not have to think twice because if the men and women that are living in that house are truly living the values of the organization they committed to, then they should be looking out for them. Um, And it really should be the safest place on any college campus. And I think for the most part, it is. I think for the majority of the time, you know, we'll call it 99% of the time it is. But certainly we hear about in the media some of the, the worst parts. And those are the things that I'm driving to try and resolve. And I really believe that the fraternities and sororities on college campuses, they actually have the tools and the resources and the leadership to actually fix these things, whereas many college campuses don't know how to fix it. I believe the fraternities and sororities um, can fix it. We just need to give them some of the right resources um, and show them some best practices on what's happening on college campuses across the country. And because they are controlling of the social scene on many of these college campuses, they are uniquely qualified to implement some of these things to actually get them resolved, whereas many college campuses don't really know what to do.
0: Yeah. And I will say, first of all, just that speaks a lot about who you are as a person, just being, you know, someone who really wants to just, you see something that's wrong and you just want to change it, you know, having the drive and the passion just because you want to just make sure that people are not being treated as like, dogs, like animals. You want to make sure that people are just having a good human experience and being good people. And, you know, it's, it's amazing that you're trying to spread that and just you as one person and now you to help spread that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I certainly believe who you are. Yeah. I believe in the students. I believe in their ability to create positive change. Um, So, um, so I'm all about that and we're actually seeing it. It's just, amazing to watch some of the awareness events. I mean, if we're going to talk about, let's say, sexual assault prevention, um, just looking at some of the consent awareness events that the students are putting on once I leave campus, or the bystander intervention awareness events that the students are putting on after I leave campus. And all of those things look different, right? My presentation stays relatively the same. Obviously, I change it as new articles and other information comes out. But What's interesting is watching what the students do with that information and those awareness events that they put on after I leave, that looks different on every single college campus because, you know, not one particular event is necessarily a fit for every college campus. So just watching and keeping up with what all these students are doing around the country to help end these problems like sexual assault prevention or, you know, hazing and things like that, that's really the cool part is seeing what they come up with because it really is so unique to each campus.
0: Yeah, that is so amazing because, I mean, even just impacting one person, you know, you never know where that will go because that one person might have this group of friends or this person that they know who is impacted by whatever and Mm -hmm. their family and. It just even just impacting one person, and when you actually see it in that big, big, big picture of Mm -hmm. things coming from it, that is amazing. It's beautiful. And then you don't know what comes from that. It's literally the world is a ripple effect, and it is so cool to see. So, you have a whole team now with Greek University. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how you're creating that ripple effect?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do have a team of people, you know, it used to be me just for the first three years. And then I realized that um, there were so many opportunities on so many college campuses that I, one person cannot possibly um, be at every school, you know, for every need. Um, And I also wanted to bring in experts, people that specialize in things that I didn't do. So uh, we have guys like John Mabry, who I brought on. Um, everybody came on in the fall of 2018. John handles addictions, all different types of addictions, whether it be alcohol, drugs, pornography, all of that stuff, gambling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Zach Westerbeck, he's with us. He talks about mental health, which again, I think he just does an amazing job and he really relates very well to the students um, in terms of breaking the stigma of mental health, which is fantastic. Uh, Trisha Benitez, she focuses on healthy relationships. She also talks about alcohol and drug abuse prevention. Um, So she's wonderful. Robert Wilson, he's a guy that comes in and talks about diversity and inclusion and why diversity is important within college student organizations. Um, Lauren Crumbaker, she basically handles uh, recruitment uh, for us. So really, everybody just kind of has their own specialty niche. Um, And uh, I talk about things like hazing and sexual assaults and alcohol and drugs. And it's just really meaningful work. Um, You know, just talking about times that really move you and uh, times that make you realize that, hey, you're on the right path. I just came back from LaSalle University in Philadelphia. I spoke about sexual assault prevention and, uh, At the end I mean it was fantastic the students are all in people always ask do the students like the presentation I'm like they love it like they can't get enough of it literally it was packed to the rafters they had never seen the second level you know, even have any students in it, but the place was so packed, they had to open up the second level. So I literally had students in front of me and then above me that were watching the presentation. And at the end of the presentation, I remember a woman came up to me and she said, Mike, she said, this is so amazing what you're doing. She said, nobody has ever come to Lasalle University to talk about sexual assault prevention until you showed up. They said, you know, we fill out, you know, some paperwork and we do like a short exam when we enter. But after that, we don't hear anything about sexual assault prevention for the next four years. And, uh, and you were the first person to come here and to talk to us about it. And she said, that's so meaningful to me because she said, I myself am a victim of sexual assault. And, and so you know for me to be there and for me to be a fraternity man giving that talk, that tells her everything about what it really means to be a fraternity man. So in her mind, Um, you know, it's not all about the stereotypes of fraternity and sorority. In her mind, she knows that a real fraternity man stands up for what's right and believes in caring for one another. And so in her mind, that perception is totally different. And, uh, And that's the kind of message that I want to spread all throughout North America.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that is amazing. It is beautiful to see when people actually come to you and share with you how they're touched because everyone just like, you know, the students putting on different types of events and different types of things after you leave their campus, everyone is touched in a different way. Everyone gains something differently from any talk, anything that they read, anything that they hear. So it's really, really amazing to see that contrast in the different perspectives and views. So, um, when, oh, what was I going to say? I have a question in mind that I really wanted to ask and something you said made me think of this and I cannot remember. Hmm. I don't know. I guess I'll ask a different question and maybe it will come back. back (laughs) Yes, it'll come back. I believe in it. So building this team, having all of this, you know, you have something now that is much bigger than you as a person, right? Like it's, it's, bigger than just one person. Mm -hmm. So are there any, you know, fears or anything that comes up for you during any stage of where you are? You said you, you know, a while ago you started your entrepreneurial ventures with some marketing and that kind of area, but now it's much different. It's much bigger. It's multiple people that you're managing. So, Mm -hmm. um, what kind of things come up for you sometimes?
1: Well, listen, I mean, as you grow any company, um, you start to think about quality control, for example. Like, I know that I can go out there and just kill it on stage and do a great job. Once you start bringing on new people, of course, you're going to be thinking, all right, is this going to be the same experience? Because now I have somebody else that's representing the company. And so I think what makes Greek University unique is that, um, you know, we're not too big, it's a handful of people. So I really work very closely with each one of our speakers and make Making sure that they get the resources they need that I go through their slide deck that we do a lot of practice together and just a lot of work to make sure that these you know these people are uniquely qualified a um, so I do a lot of work on the front end to make sure they're experts in their industry but B, spending a lot of time with them on their presentation to make sure that they're ready and that they're gonna go out and do an amazing job because they're representing the company and so you know when you if you have one speaker that is not quite on par with the rest of the group. Ultimately, that could impact the entire organization, right? You have one bad experience, and then suddenly, like everybody on the roster is no good, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that those are the types of things that we spend a lot of time on, and and we have uh, every year we have uh, team meetings in person where we really take the whole weekend to kind of go through everybody's presentations and you know troubleshoot them and give ideas and suggestions. And even when we go to all these different conferences around the country, we're constantly working with each other and making suggestions to each other to make each other better. Um, so I really love the environment that we've built in terms of helping each other. I really believe that you know the love that we feel for each other on the team speaks volumes, and so that's the way we run the organization: is through our love and mutual respect for each other versus what a lot of companies, uh, you know seem to to be doing now, which is ruling by fear. Uh, and that's just not me. Um, I think I took a lot of uh, motivation from, uh, for example, Southwest, uh, one of their founders, Herb, uh, just recently passed away in January. And that was really the way that he was running Southwest is it was all about the love for each other. Um, and uh, not ruling by fear, but more of love and respect for each other. And that's why you see you know these hearts and, and, and everything else around Southwest um, it really is permeate, permeate permeate, I can't even say the word, uh, (laughs) permeated through the entire culture of the organization. Um, So that's really kind of what inspired me there. And uh, we've maintained that till now. So I I think, you know, in terms of fears when you grow, that's kind of what I think about is making sure that we continue to set a very, very high bar for any Greek university speaker that they're going to go out and do an amazing job. But I think we can do that because we really have a very tight team. It's not like we have you know, 20, 30, 40 people on the roster. We don't. Um, I think if I can keep it around this size, then I feel like I can do a good job and continuing to work with them and make sure that every time out, they're just doing an amazing job and people have great experiences.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So what do you see in the future for yourself or what are you looking towards in the future right now?
1: You know, right now we're actually looking um, that we're gonna be bringing on uh, a couple of new speakers. Um, These are people that are very well known in our industry. So I'm really excited about that because they do have a following. Um, So that's really, really exciting. Um, I don't wanna give away too much. But uh, definitely check out Greek University over the next couple of months. We're going to be making uh, a couple of announcements on a couple of new speakers that we're going to be bringing on. So I'm so excited about that because they're both just amazing, amazing people and very well known in the industry. So I'm always looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing my discussions with students all over the country about the issues that are affecting them um, and seeing, you know, do we need to bring on another speaker that deals with another topic that maybe we don't cover today? Um, so I'm constantly looking at things like that. Uh, um, and so, you know, that's really kind of what I've been focusing on is just making sure that the message resonates with students. So I'm just looking forward to growing this thing. And, um, you know, obviously in the beginning, it, it really was all me, so it was all about me and my presentations on college campuses. But I guess what I'm most looking forward to now is just watching the progression of all these other speakers that came on board in the fall, because now they're all getting booked, and so watching them grow that is kind of the next exciting piece for me is watching them be just as busy as I am. Um, That's really exciting to see because I recognize that it's really a life-changing thing for all of these people. They all have a really important message and they have just incredible stories. You can certainly look at the greekuniversity.org website and read about their stories. They're all very impressive, but they had a message And they just didn't know how to get on stages on a consistent basis. And so with me giving them that information, watching their growth as a person and then being able to spread that message all throughout the country, that's really exciting. So for me, I think it's just grown far beyond just my needs. But now it's very rewarding for me to work with them and watching them grow and be really successful. Like that's kind of the next step in terms of what I'm most looking forward to.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And you probably didn't see yourself in that place um, years ago. You know, you probably didn't see yourself being here. And that's really, really cool to think about because you don't know where you're going to be in 20 years. 100%.
1: 100%. I mean, you know, if anybody out there thinks that uh, the the shot to success is straight, it's not. Um, you know, there's so many wrong turns that I've made along the way, um, but everything kind of leads up to this point, right? I mean, you take all of these experiences and then you figure out what it is that you should be doing with your life and what is most inspiring and how you can make the most impact on the world and bring positive change, right? So um, I think all of the experiences that I've had, Um, have led me to this point. And so I'm so grateful for everything. I don't uh, regret any of the steps that I've taken. Um, But you're right. I never expected necessarily to be here. But I think through trial and error, you figure out where you have the most impact and, and how you can make this world a better place and do that with the most amount of people possible. And so now I'm to the point where I've actually figured that out. And um, it's just really rewarding to be able to do what you love, um, of course, make a living at it, but also just to impact people and make this world a safer place for my children, for your children, for everybody's children. That makes me feel really good as a, as a human.
0: Yeah, Um, I would say too, it's just, it's basically about, first of all, staying open. We talked about this. We talked a little bit about how, you know, the path is not, it's never over, right? So you are where you are now and it's not even the end at all. It's just even the beginning, and um, staying open to everything that comes your way and open to everything that's happening to you and knowing that it's happening for you. It's giving you something. And then also I think a big part of it is just following those lights, right? Like following what lights you up because as long as you take those hints out of everything that you're doing, so you took what lit you up from being – on the board in your fraternity, right? So you took that with you and then you made other things from that. And then every other experience you had, you took those little balls of beautiful lights in your life that you love. And then you just kind of keep rolling them into a bigger ball and it makes a huge disco ball, (laughs) a growing (laughs) disco ball eventually, because you're just following those things that light you up. And as long as you do that, Like that's amazing advice, right? You just got to follow those things because if you ignore them and you're not open to them, then you're never going to find yourself in a place that you like.
1: Absolutely. You got to be doing something that you're passionate about. I mean, if you're just doing work just for a paycheck, find something that you're passionate about because it's the only way you're going to get to where you want to go and impact literally thousands and thousands of people. Um, so whatever that is for you, you got to figure that out.
0: Can Um, we, can I ask you something too, just on that? Um, you know, when a lot of people hear doing something that you're passionate about or doing something that it's impacting other people, Mm -hmm. thousands of people, they think, okay, it's gotta be something big. It has to be world changing. It has Mm -hmm. to be like huge. But what would you say for someone that just really honestly is happy doing that nine to five job and, they feel like they, you know, they hear people saying this, but they feel like they're just happy where they're at.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, obviously I I can't change anybody. All I can say is that they need to figure out, are they happy? Um, Are they genuinely happy? Um, I have worked for companies, big publicly traded companies, um, you know, selling certain things. Uh, You know, for a long time I was selling network infrastructure. Uh, That was one of the... um, entrepreneurial companies that went to $25 million in annual sales. We sold Cisco routers and switches and firewalls, all kinds of network infrastructure. Uh, Was I necessarily making the world a better place? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, We sold a lot of these boxes. Um, We were connecting a lot of people. So I guess you can look at it from that standpoint that certainly um, we were connecting people all over the world so they can communicate. Um, but to me, it just, for for me personally, it wasn't the impact that I wanted. I wanted more. It was much more than sales volume for me. For me, I wanted to somehow make the world a better place. And so in the back of my head, I was, I was open to new opportunities, um, where I could have a big impact on lots of people. That's for me personally. And I recognize that not everybody is like that. Some people are perfectly content working nine to five. Um, but for me, like, I need to be passionate about what it is that I'm doing. I need to be dreaming about how I can help more people. Um, and so that's just kind of my thing. Um, and so I'm always thinking about that. You know, I'm always thinking about how I can impact more people and help more people. And, and I think if everybody had that kind of sense that they just, you know, have to figure out what were they put on this earth to do um, and how could they most impact and help as many people as possible, then I think we would have a, you know, a better place. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of what I think about. I I just think that people have to find what they're passionate about. And I think that's different for everybody. Um, but as long as you're waking up and you're passionate about it, then I'm cool with it.
0: Yeah. I think that too, as long as, um, because it could be shown in a lot of different ways. And like you said, everyone is very different. You know, Mm -hmm. you have that drive to use your passions in these ways, but, um, I think that as long as you are really truly following what lights you up and what you really love doing, it's going to give back. Even if you don't mean to give back, it's going to end up giving back in some way because you are so passionate about it. And so I think that like even on the smaller scale, like it could be someone, I can't remember who was talking about this, but someone brought up. Um, someone working in the grocery, or no? It was someone taking out the trash, and mm-hmm. this guy was just like every morning. Um, this person that worked in this office, he would see this guy taking out the trash, and he was just so happy and smiley and like singing. And it's just like that is what lit him up. And it's even a cool example in a way. It's much a much smaller scale, but it's really really cool because. I know for myself, when I see those type of people, when I see people just happy doing what they're doing, it makes me happy. It lights me up. It makes me happy. It reminds me of just like simpleness,
1: simplicity.
0: And so I think everyone has that place in the world just to, as long as you're doing what truly makes you happy, then you're going to, you're going to light up the world. And I think as a speaker, you know, that's what you share too. You share, you show your passion and people can feel passion. They can feel that energy. They can feel that love. And, um, it, it brings them to a place of wanting to be a better person themselves.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that hits the nail on the head. I mean, really as a society, I think we have to make sure that we have empathy in, in everything that we do, that we care for one another. Sometimes I feel like that's lost a little bit in our society and politics, you name it. Um, but we need to make sure we have empathy for one another. Um, and we have to realize that we all depend on each other. Right. Um, so in this society, you know, if I'm getting from, um, you know from Nashville where I live to Philadelphia I'm depending on people to get me there safely right there's a pilot of the an airplane there's a driver of the uber to get me to campus right so there's all these people that that ultimately that I interact with and I try and have as positive uh, demeanor as possible because I do think that we as humans we can spread happiness right When I came home from Philadelphia and I walked in the door um, and my family is there on the other side of the door, I can spread happiness to them or I can choose another path. Right. I can basically say, oh, I'm really grumpy because I only slept four hours last night in a hotel bed um, that was uncomfortable and uh, had a terrible trip here. The seat was uncomfortable on the airplane. I could you know, I can do that or I can choose happiness. I can basically say, you know what? I'm going to look at all the positives that happened over the last day instead of focusing on the negatives. And I could spread happiness to my family on the other side of that door. And so they sense all of these things. They pick up all these things. And so I think we can spread happiness. We can spread things like morality. We can spread all of these things through all the people in our network, no matter what we do.
0: I think that the key word there that you said is choice. It's all about your choice. You have a choice. And you know, there are times where like my family especially knows I get hangry. Okay. And it used to be even worse. You
1: too.
0: <laughs> oh God, I am a hangry girl. Okay. I just, I, I, yeah, it, I was even at the bank the other day. I was wanting to open up a new account. Um, I, with the bank that I already bank with and I just wanted to get it done. And I was so hungry. It was like 1230 and I hadn't eaten that morning and I worked out and I went to like three different banks because for whatever reason they say they're open and then they're not. And It was so frustrated. And this girl was so sweet. She was so sweet and she was trying to make conversation with me and i was doing the best i could just to be you know civil and nice and like an, a decent human being and i told her i mean i feel like my even when i'm being really really rude i feel like it it doesn't come across as rude as what i feel like i'm being but i told her i'm so sorry if i seem so evil right now i'm just so hungry i need something to eat i'm so sorry <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> so but anyway The point of all that is that I think sometimes, you know, obviously you need to release the beast. Of course, we're going to feel crazy and terrible and sad sometimes. and That's fine. But it's about the choice that you, you choose how to handle it, how to interact with other people. You don't need to put that into the world. You know, you, you really, there's time for it. And then you can always choose just to choose how you handle it Yep. and how you spread it. So awesome. So. Is there anything else that you feel like you need to share right now that's coming up for you or coming up with Greek University or anything that you're excited about?
1: Um, I'm super excited about AFLV West. Um, So this is a big conference for fraternity and sorority students in San Diego, California. Oh my goodness, I can't wait. We got a beach house for all the Greek university speakers to hang out in. Uh, We're we're literally going to be on the beach. So I'm really looking forward to that. AFLV West is going to be in San Diego from April 11th, through April thirteenth, So I'm super excited to see all the fraternity and sorority students out there and get to meet them and see how I can best serve them. So uh, that's really exciting. And uh, later on in April, the NFL draft is coming to Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm super excited. <laughs> uh, I got some tickets, some front row seats. So you might be able to see me on television as all of these uh athletes are gonna be getting ready to uh to enter the NFL. So uh so those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to. I'm also looking forward to a vacation with the family this summer. Um so really excited about that. We're gonna be headed to Bermuda on a cruise. So, oh,
0: God, don't get lost in the triangle. I
1: know, I know, I know, seriously. <laughs> What's really funny is is that <laughs> I think my son has been watching too much of, like, uh, you know, movies and things like that. Um, yeah, he's worried that the the boat is going to crash into, like, an iceberg um, because he saw, like, Titanic, right? So I'm like, no. Nah, there's not gonna be any icebergs we're gonna go in the summer so it's fine
0: yeah so. we're going in the summer yeah there's no icebergs in the summer that's good i'm glad that how old is he
1: so yeah so he's 14 so i think he knows better <laughs> but at the same time he still you know throws that out there i think yeah. he probably just wants to stay home and play video games that's probably why well once he there. sees
0: all the food that's you said it's a cruise <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, Once he sees all the food, which I have actually never been on a cruise in my oh. life, I've never been on a cruise. And all I hear about is the food. And God, that would be terrible for me. I would be out of control. I would. Oh, the when food I is see.
1: Unending.
0: Yeah. When you see free, unlimited food, it's just yes. like, you, it's there. Oh, it's so hard and to it's resist. Not only
1: is it there, it's there all the time. Oh, so my
0: God. Literally- That's-
1: like from sunup to sundown, there's always food around and it's like, you can't stop. It's just like, this is, it's so bad. And then there's really no place to go. So you feel like, well, I might as well eat because what else am I going to do? So it's like, it's bad, it's bad.
0: uh, Yeah, yeah, but sometimes I guess you gotta be bad. Gotta be bad on a boat, it's all (laughs) fine. So I have one last question for you, which actually I am starting to ask now, all of my guests so you will be my second guest that i am going to be airing um but the question is if someone asks you how to listen to their soul what that means and how they can access what their soul is saying to them what advice would you give
1: wow such a deep question <laughs> I'm um, a deep person yeah obviously <laughs> um all right so what comes to
0: mind first
1: yeah i mean i think what comes to mind is think about um, the, the things that you are doing that most inspire you, where you feel uh, the most uh, rewarding experience. So I think that's really what I would be doing is think about when you are proudest of yourself. Think about when other people are proud of you and what you've done and what were those circumstances, right? Um, and start writing some of that stuff down. And then I think you start to get at your soul and ultimately what drives you as a person. Um, and so you're going to have to do some, some thinking, um, some writing, some journaling. Um, if it's better for you to record it, then certainly you can record it with some kind of a tape recorder device or your cell phone or whatever. Um, but I think start thinking about the times when you feel the best about yourself and what, you're, what were you doing at that time. Um, And if you do that, and you do that over your lifetime, I mean, one of the exercises when I went for my master's program is to uh, chart your life on a graph. And you can actually chart all of the major experiences that have happened to you over your lifetime from start as a child until now. And you can put it up on a graph and you can rate all of the major events in your life somewhere from, let's say, zero to 10, 10 being the best, right? And so you can rate all of these experiences. And by doing this exercise over a lifetime, you can really kind of hone in on your soul and what drives you as a person and what's important to you. Um, so I think that's a really useful exercise for a lot of people to do, and it forces you to confront some of the good things that have happened in your life and some of the bad things that have happened in your life. And maybe some of these bad things, a lot of people end up burying because they don't want to think about it. Um, and so these are things that you might not have thought about in years in some cases because you've buried it. But what this exercise forces you to do is to confront those things and look at those things and figure out why these things have happened to you, what you've learned from them, um, and ultimately what drives you as a person and get closer connected to your soul and what you're all about.
0: Mm, Yes, I love that. I think that's all very well said. I love it. So where can everyone find you online? Where can they stalk you?
1: Absolutely. Please stalk me. Um, I will definitely follow you back on social media. So you can connect with me on Instagram. You can use your Insta or your Finsta at Greek University. You can also check me out at Twitter and Facebook also at Greek University. You can find me on LinkedIn. So my name is Michael. The last name is Ayalon. That's spelled A-Y-A-L-O-N. Um, So all of these places are great places to check me out, or you can also just visit our website. It's www.greekuniversity.org. I would love it if uh, your followers come and check out my podcast, which is Fraternity Foodie, and uh, they can check that out, of course, on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. And uh, I really appreciate all the time with you. I love spending time with you, Sharon. You're great.
0: Of course. You are great, too. Thank you so much for coming on to this. And all of you listeners, please, please, please go ahead and check out Greek University. Check out the speakers. Check out Mike, because they are doing some amazing things, spreading some amazing messages. And I am so grateful for you coming on. So... Until next time, speak your soul, and we will talk later. Thanks, guys. Thank you all so much for listening to that episode. And I would love if you leave a comment or slash, that made no sense, leave a review in iTunes or Spotify or Google or wherever you are listening so that the audience can keep building and so that I can just see your feedback. I love hearing your voice and please 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 follow me on instagram i'd love to talk hear any questions or hear any anything that you have from me uh you can just search my name on there and again i know i already said it but until next time speak your soul and love you very much many kisses